Today we come to Revelation chapter 21. Describes the new heaven and the new earth. So I said there's very little description of this perfect eternal place that we all want to go to, we all have been yearning for all our life. And to be honest, you don't need really to describe much because you and I know what we would like in this place. You know, it's like a love story. The ending of the love story is, and they live happily ever after, period. There's no need to say, and then they woke up the next morning and they love one another, then they live in the same house, have perfect relationships, then they have children, then they have a happy family, then they grow old together. There's no need. The human heart knows what it wants. It's placed in our heart. You and I already have this idea of heaven, but it's been damaged right, by the Greek thinking that it's just going to be spiritual. So this demolishes that, shows very physical things. Talks about the resurrection body, talks about the city, talks about walls, all right? It demolishes what is a misconception. It doesn't have to teach you the conception. It just gets rid of the misconception of marriage. For example, you say, all right, a marriage should not have too many wives, more than one wife. And you remove that misconception. Ah, the rest I can figure out. You don't need to tell me what a husband and wife should be like, what we want out of a marriage. Okay, but we need to remove a misconception that, oh, you can change wives anytime, right? When you remove that misconception, the rest falls in place. All right, so there's not much to describe. It's almost like the ending of this long love story. It is a love story of God and us, right? God choosing a bride for his son. And the ending of the love story, and they live happily ever after. That's it. Okay? Unlike the millennial kingdom, which is lots of description, because it's not a kind of a place you could think of. It's quite complicated. The millennial kingdom is quite complicated. Some in resurrected bodies, some in natural bodies. There will be boundaries in Israel. How do, how do you figure all that? Is Israel going to be the bigger Israel? You know, stuff like that. Okay, how do you get out all those Jews that are part of the lost tribes? Are they really going to know their tribes? Stuff like that. Okay, this one, no. One big happy family and we are all there. All right, so let's look at Genesis chapter 21. Since it's a short chapter, we can go verse by verse. Right, so we see Genesis chapter 21. Uh, sorry, Genesis, what am I talking about? Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 sounds like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This one is, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right? So very similar. The ending, the beginning. Okay? So God said, I beat that world. Satan thought he had a better one up on me. Ha <laughs> ha. No way. 
I make now a new one, a better one. Okay? So, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. What is this word new? Does it mean like it's totally different? You can't recognize it as the earth. You can't recognize it as a heaven. I don't think so. Because we have given new bodies, resurrected bodies, we can recognize one another. In other words, we don't go to heaven and I'm Paul Chu on this earth and I'm going to have a totally different... It's not Paul Chu anymore, right? So you can't call it earth if it's not like earth anymore. So the word new here simply means perfectly renovated without all the, 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 the bad things in it, the, the corrupted things in it, right? The degenerated and, and deformed mutations in it, all right? So it's a new heaven and a new earth, okay? So it is something similar and yet not similar, right? It's same and different, so to speak. What happened to the old one? The old first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10 describes heaven and earth gone. Okay? Totally gone. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. Now the interesting part it says here, and the sea was no more. Why in the world did God take away the sea? I mean half of the world is uh, uh, of this present world, in fact more than half is sea. Okay? Water makes up a lot of this earth. Now, we must understand the biological purpose of the sea. The sea is the sewage plant of the earth. Honestly, if there was no sea, all the sewage that man discharged, the, the dirt that man puts into the rivers, goes into the sea, by all rivers would have been polluted beyond recognition. Okay? The sea, because of its salt, its salinity, has been the sewage plant of the earth. It cleans up all the dirt, the junk we put into the waters, and then it purifies it, evaporates, goes up, and comes down another cycle of clean water. So we don't need a sewage plant in the new heaven and the new earth, right? Does that mean there'll be no more water on earth? I don't think so. If this is the seas, no one ever said the lakes are no more the rivers. In fact, there will be a river, so it's got to flow somewhere. So of course, we don't need a sewage plant. We have lakes. Now, fresh water, honestly, is much nicer to swim in than seawater. I, I, you know, when I go to the sea, one of the reasons I don't like to swim in seawater, I feel so sticky after that. Right? So, even if people go for a beach holiday, interestingly enough, the vast majority of people have the sea in front for viewing. Then they swim in the pool in the hotel and they view the sea. Right? So, Honestly, nobody's going to miss the sea. They will miss water, but there will be plenty of water in this world. Okay, so that's probably the reason why there's no more sea, if you understand a bit of biology. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So the new city called New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. So it comes down from heaven to earth. Right? Now, this new city will be the capital of the new universe. The unified heaven and earth will have a capital. Right now, there are lots of capitals in countries. They all compete with one another. They fight with one another right, for power. And in the end, there will be one capital. Unified heaven and earth. Right? 
So the capital of the universe is God's permanent address. You ask me, what's your address, God? My address is New Jerusalem, right? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 said, Abraham looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11 verse 10, right? That is to new. He saw that long ago. Now, is a new Jerusalem a city or a bride? Is it a place or a people? <laughs> That's very interesting, all right? It says, it, I saw a holy city come down, but it is prepared as a bride. Now, which is it? Is it a place or a people? City is a place, bride is a people. It's both, all right? Now, you say, come on, come on. Ask you, Israel, is Israel a place or is it a people? It's both. You see, God chose the people of Israel to be his people. He gave them a place called Israel. Okay, so it's both. A city is a place, a community, a bride speaks of intimacy, very close, right? So we, the people of God, are the bride, very close, right? We are also a city. We are a community. I think that's how I would look at it. And if you understand the word Israel, you understand what this means. It's both. It's not necessarily either or. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now this is the most amazing part of this whole two chapters. The most amazing part is we don't go to heaven. Rather, God comes to us. Heaven comes to us. <laughs> In a sense, what is heaven? Heaven is the place where God is. Right? If there's no God in heaven, it's not heaven. So I say heaven is a realm, as I said earlier. It's not a place. A place is not... If you ask me, where is my home? My home is where my heart is, where my family is. You take away my family, that's not my home. I don't care about the place, right? So it's the same thing, all right? So in other words, we don't go somewhere, rather God comes to be with us. Now that's the amazing part. People always think God just sits there and, and you know, just waits for us. Passive God. No, 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 no. Our God's not one of those gods is up there, right? This is Emmanuel. This is God who told us in the Garden of Eden, he wanted to be on earth with Adam. But because of sin and the sin-cursed earth, he is separated from the earth. Now he's coming right back to Genesis chapter 1, where he walked among men. Then later he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who he said, he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Then he sent after that the Holy Spirit, to live in our heart. Can you see God the Father in the Garden of Eden, Jesus Christ, right, walking among men, and then the Holy Spirit walking in men, and one day all three will be on earth with us. That is called unity, that's called reconciliation, that is called perfection, right? That's heaven when our Creator is with us forever and ever, all right? So we will see from Revelation 21, verse 3 to verse 8, what is the description of heaven? I want you to just watch carefully as I read on. The description of heaven is much more about a person than a place. He, he, he is always about 
the Creator, Jesus. Alright? So, question is always, people say, the world will come to an end. That's true. What is this end? The world will come to an end. What's the end? The end is to be with a person. That's the end of the story. To be with a person. Right? What is this world coming to? It's a bad way question. Who is this world coming to? It's a better question. It's coming back to its creator who was separated. Okay? So this is a love story of a love God who loves us, separated from us by sin, allowing all these events to take place and then coming right back, conquering the enemy and coming right back. So what is the world coming to? Should be replied, who is the world? Should be rephrased, who is the world coming to? What is the end of the world? The end of the world is the beginning of time with eternal time with a person my creator, my lover, my God, Jesus Christ, right? So, chapter 3, uh, chapter 21, verse 3. Let's look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from the eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's easier to describe the new heaven and new earth by saying things that will not be there. Because things that will not be there, like crying, pain, death, mourning, we understand those things. So we can say, you know what? In heaven, there won't be any of that. At least I can understand that. It's almost like a tribal man from a Stone Age tribe going to a city. Then he goes back to report to his people. And people say, what's the city like? What's the city like? He's not going to say the city, you know, these people, they uh, they have these cell phones. They can talk to each other. Actually, they can see each other on it. They can, you know, it's amazing. They can talk to, you know, and then they have these laptops and they can do a... He's not going to tell all those things because the, the guys in the village say, what are you talking about? What is this thing they're holding their head? Come on, you know? You know, oh, oh, there's this thing, they, they, they click, 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 and then, you know, they can connect the whole world and they do all their work, just, you mean, they don't go farming, you know? And he will say, oh, oh, no, no, no. Let me describe to you, there's no more farming in this place that I went to, all right? There are no more people, all right, who have to toil from morning to night with backache and everything else. And there's no more hot sun on their back every day because they go to a place, you know, where there's no more burning sun on that. He can tell easier to describe what they will not have rather than what he sees because those things he's seen in the city cannot be described to the people. So you'll find in verse 4, it's a not, not, nots that make it easier for us to grasp. The yes, yes, yes are harder. And those are usually described more in symbolic terms because there's no word for it in the present grammar or present vocabulary we have, right? Okay, so vocabulary is for use. But how can we have vocabulary for something we have not yet experienced, all right? So he talks about the knots here. And verse 5, <clears throat> And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy 
and true. Again, the word new, like new heaven, new earth, is not totally new, right? There will be new and I would say same but new version of it. Same but different, right? For example, there will be bodies, but new bodies, right? There will be environment, water, but new water. Maybe sea, but new sea, fresh water, perfect, pristine, you can drink from it, right? There will be relationships, but new. He makes all things new, all things new. Our relationships now are not fraught with problems and difficulties, right? But beautiful, right? Even past relationships, people will repent openly of, hey, remember what I did to you? I'm so sorry. Now. I said, don't worry. Christ, forgive me. I forgive you. Oh, perfect. Like, not like now. You say sorry, still not quite there. Work. It's not new. I know work. But work will be new. In the sense, it's so enjoyable, so satisfying. It's not weariness. It's joyfulness <laughs> okay all right so behold i make all things new and he had to write at there and he also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true basically he's saying i can't describe to you what is new just trust me <laughs> just trust me all right so it's like this man going back to his stone age tribe and saying i cannot tell you everything there but trust me it's a great place it's much better than here i can't describe to you trust me my words are true right so that's what revelation is about okay why does god not describe heaven more because i can't understand <laughs> i've never seen experience those kind of things <laughs> right so we go on to verse six and he said to me it is done i'm the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment right so here we see Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the Genesis and the Revelation, right? We read the Bible without Alpha nor Omega. <laughs> we don't understand the beginning. He is the completer of everything. When he starts, he finishes beautifully, better than ever. Alpha and Omega, right? Complete, end to end. <laughs> Now, he's going to describe, all right, and, and basically he's saying, you cannot stop me. When I start, I perfect it, all right? Whatever work I begin, I will bring it to perfection. To the thirsty, I'll give from the spring. I've talked about that in the introduction. To thirst is always the picture of that. You know, every now and then we need to drink because there's a level of dissatisfaction. Endless, endless cycles. You do something, it's dissatisfied. Do something, but... In the new heaven and new earth, there is endless satisfaction. <laughs> the, the spring of water just keeps, we don't need to look for water. It's a spring is coming up all the time. Okay, So that's the picture in verse, um, verse uh, 6, verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I'll be his God and he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. All right, all those who are described here will go to hell. 
Now, but it says in verse 7, those who conquer will not conquer what? Conquer this. Alright, how do you conquer all these sins? Very simple. By trusting Christ. Christ paid for our sins. How do you conquer all your sins? All this lying, idolatry, etc. Which we have all committed before. Who has not lied? Alright? Can anybody say he has not these sins which are which are not cowardly, faithless? Have you not been all those things? Of course we have been. But how do we conquer those things? Through the conqueror. Through Christ. Who said it is finished. And how did he conquer? How did he prove he conquered? He rose from the dead. Right? To conquer death for you and me. Alright? So, he who conquers by being united with the conqueror. You know, if I'm part of Alexander the Great's team, I win. Right? If I'm part of the wrong team, I lose. <laughs> okay? So, this is very simple. In fact, you'll find 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11, very similar. Very similar. Because people say, oh, like this Shodaya. No, no. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11 tells us, you are all like this, but now you have trusted Christ. Now you are justified by faith. Right? So, go and check 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11. Very similar kind of a thing. Right? So, we have to conquer our fear. Fear of being mocked by people. Conquer our laziness, looking for spiritual things. Our pride, thinking that I can reach heaven on my own. These are some things we have to conquer to trust Christ. There's an element. I, I, I just don't see you just sit there and, oh, you're elect. God bless you. Right. That's why we bring people to church, so they're here. They need to make that little effort to go to hear the word of God. That's their laziness. They fear if I go to to church, people laugh at me, my parents will scold me, my wife would think I'm some idiot going to trust a God, why need God, you know? My own pride was saying, I'm not that bad, you know, you don't conquer all these things. But the real conqueror is Christ, who conquered all this on the cross when he took our sins. Alright, verse 9. From verse 9 onwards, we see an angel takes John on a tour of new Jerusalem. Okay. Then came one of the seven angels which had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal right so now john is taken on the a tour he's brought up to the high mountain just like you go a tour of a city you go to high mountain so you can see everything but instead of looking down he looks up and he sees the city coming down and this city is quite some city now it's like a jasper brilliant in in light now you're going to see a lot of description and you have to struggle and ask yourself is it literal or is it symbolic Right? Can I answer you? It's both. It's literal, but it also describes something. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, is it literal? Yeah. It's a piece of bread. I hold it. It's a cup. I hold it. Is it literal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literal. It's a bread and cup. 
Is it symbolic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's symbolic. It signifies the death of Christ, the blood of Christ. Ah, okay. It's both, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's both. Okay? So it's baptism. What is it? Literal. It's both. You enter the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. But is it symbolic? Yes, 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 yes. Okay? So that's all. So when you read this, try to figure it out. God's trying to show you something from something that you can hold and experience and understand. But it brings you onto something bigger than that. Okay? So when we see all these things, like it's like a jasper, right? Like a jaspers. John, I, I don't know what jasper looks like. I think it's brilliant. White brilliant light, I think, all right? I may be totally wrong because it says next word is like a jasper, not a jasper, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So it's like crystal clear. So the city is like, whoa, like a beautiful crystal clear city coming down, right? And like brick walls that block things off. Everything you can see through in a, in a, in a sense, like the crystal you see right through. There are no barriers. There are barriers, but no barriers, so to speak. Hard to figure out again, all right? Then it says in verse 11, uh, verse <clears throat> 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of 12 tribes of the sons of Israel inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. Okay, so we see a great high wall. So this city comes down, Later, we just realize it's a cube. And yet, there's a high wall around it. What walls? What do walls signify? Walls signify possession. If I have a piece of land, it's not that I'm afraid of anything. I just build a wall to say this is mine. Right? So, a wall signifies those are inside belong to me. People inside feel intimate because we all belong here. Right? So, if you have a, a garden, uh, a nice garden, you generally put some thing to say, this is mine. All inside are together, right? So that's just a picture. Is there a real wall? I think so. I believe there is. And what does it signify? Exactly what I said, okay? So it is that. And then there are 12 angels at the 12 gates. There are 12 gates and the 12 angels. Again, God reminds us that we are made in His image. Angels are made to serve us. That's found in Hebrews. Are they not ministering spirits? Right? So, in this new heaven and new earth, we see the angels. In the, now, we are blessed by what angels do for us. But I don't see them. But because my Greek mind, I cannot believe they are angels. Most Christians don't believe they are angels. So God's going to tell you, hey, they're real. The spiritual world is real. Okay? It's not just far, far away. It's right next to you. So at the gate, you're reminded all your life you've been served by these wonderful, faithful servants whom God has given to us. And then the name of the 12 tribes of Israel are written on the gates. What's that to remind us? Our salvation came through the Jewish race. Remember that. Never forget that. It's so bizarre that let me tell you, Jesus was a Jew, all right? Can I tell you that again? Jesus was a Jew. How can we hate Jews? Right? It's through the Jews we have our salvation. And yet today we have a replacement theory that throws the Jews out. No. Our Old Testament is 
Jewish, right? Written by Jewish. The entire Bible was written by Jews except Luke. Christ was born a full-blooded Jew. Remember that, okay? For people, Christians who ignore the Jews, reject the Jews, throw Israel out of their thoughts and replace it with the church as if they were a piece of junk God threw, God threw away. Remember that. <clears throat> All right. Then in verse 14, <clears throat> And the wall of the city had twelve foundations on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb of Jesus, the twelve apostles. Judas removed, Matthias replaced. Why are they the foundations, right? The twelve apostles. That's where we got our truth. This wonderful truth that allowed us to go to heaven clearly was given by the apostles. The gospel clearly written, given by them. All right? Verse 15, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. You mean God need to go and measure, all right? Or, or whoever, uh, uh, this, this angel need to measure. Measuring just speaks of ownership. When you own something, you measure it. You always do. <laughs> you own a new house, you make a surveyor check, everything. This mine, right? From this boundary to this boundary, mine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Measure it, okay? That is simply a picture of clear ownership, okay? And then it says, the city, verse 16, lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. No, oh, it's a cube. Jerusalem is a cube. Most cities we know of are a square. <laughs> we don't measure the height. This one is a perfect cube. And 12,000 stadia. Number 12, you keep seeing 12 apostles, 12 names, 12 angels. 12 always speaks of God's people, the God's government is 12, 12, 12, right? So 12,000 stadia is how he governs this city. 12,000 stadia, I, 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 I just read the commentary that it is about 2,000 kilometers. A cube, 2,000 kilometers. 2,000 times 2,000 times 2,000 kilometers. I'm told it's about the size of Europe as a cube. Or if the moon, they say, is hollow, let's say the moon is hollow, this cube will just fit into this hollow moon sphere. That's big. So all of God's redeemed people can be in this city. Of course, we're not on the ground level alone, you know, be, because we can move, <laughs> right? We can levitate, <laughs> we can fly, right? Okay, we can, we take the whole cube. We, we, we actually live multi-story, right? In this whole cube. It's like Singapore now is built higher and higher and higher, but we can't build 2,000 kilometers high. You can't even build 2,000 floors, right? Okay, but that's how it will be. So there's a lot of space in this cube. A cube actually is the perfect proportion, right? Beautiful proportion, okay? And the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the tabernacle, was a cube, right? A perfect proportion, 
So I think that's what it signifies. Okay. Hmm. That's verse uh, verse 17. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. This is probably the thickness of the wall. It's about 70 meters thick, this wall, right? This wall is just to say we all belong inside, right? So that's the, uh, I don't know how high this wall is, right? but the whole city is one crystal cube, like a crystal cube. All right, verse uh, 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Now, I, you know, like, again, we don't have the exact word, so it's like, like, like. It's it's something we, we, we you know, like the man who goes back to his Stone Age tribe says, this thing they hold in there, like a, like a, like a square square, like a square, but it can talk. Uh, that's all you can say, all right? So it's gold, it's, glorious glittering and yet it's clear like glass or oh, whatever that is this is what new material i don't know it's a material but it's a new material you know it's like new materials are invented by inventors you know okay this is a new material invented by god okay the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel the first was jasper the second sapphire the third agate the fourth emerald the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jason, the twelfth amethyst. So twelve precious stones. Now, interestingly enough, this looks like a bundle of names to me, which I don't even know. I don't care about jewels. They don't really amaze me. But gemnologists say this is a very strange list very strange because all these 12 precious stones you know gemnologists divide stones into two major categories right one is called isotropic gems one is called anisotropic and it's not isotropic right gems and until people had clear laser light test the gems to see what which category they were there was no way to clearly say this was anisotropic or this was isotropic but now with this laser whatever gemnology equipment you can tell an anisotropic from isotropic all the 12 are anisotropic gems and they said how in the world did this this guy called john write this down if he had written down by his own imagination, right? It was given by God, inspired word. Okay, this you believe me or don't believe me? I read it in a commentary. All right. So, but you can check it out if you want to. All right. And the so, in other words, this wall is so amazing. You look at it like wow. Okay, and when people see like a you know 50 carat diamond here i don't know whether there's such a thing oh it's so amazing you know but this is maybe zillion carats or whatever i don't know right everyone's like literally beautiful just amazing the eyes right verse 21 the 12 gates with 12 pearls each of the gates made of a single pearl 
and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass again mentioned this gold is a funny kind of gold it's a new kind of gold you know now there's there's purple gold there's white gold this is gold like glass <laughs> whatever that is okay so here we have this amazing uh, amazing kind of uh, materials but one of the materials is the gate which is massive it's made of a pearl I don't know how, how an oyster is that big, all right? God must have some oysters somewhere. But what does a pearl signify? A pearl signifies something beauty out of pain. You see, a pearl, if you understand how people, how pearls are made, a little grit of sand, a bit of sand entered the oyster, and then it irritates the oyster so much that it produces a mucus or something that coats the sand so that it won't irritate the poor oyster. So these layers of coating finally become a pearl. So cultured pearls are made by purposely putting a grit or sand or whatever, an irritant into the oyster to make the pearl. So a pearl always speaks of beauty out of pain. And I think it reminds us that all this beauty came from a suffering of a savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, So that's the reason why, unlike all the rest of the gemstones, this was a a pearl okay and then we have uh, verse 22 i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb what's a temple a temple is a place where god is so why there's no need for a temple here because god's everywhere here right god's presence fills this whole place okay otherwise for the Old Testament Jews, they saw the cloud come, the presence of God over the Ark of the Covenant, right? Ah, God's presence is there. That's why it's called the temple. Now, we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But in this new heaven, new earth, God dwells there. No need a special place. He's in every place, okay? So... That's quite uh, amazing. <laughs> and verse 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So the glory of God. There's no need for sun or moon to give light. Right? Because I am the light. God is the light. Jesus is the light. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. International city. We will still have our uniqueness. We all still, every tribe, every nation will be there. And we will rule in different places. It'll be amazing diversity and perfect unity as God has always wanted. God is not boring. It's not uniformity and unity. So they are nations. They bring the glory to this God in this new Jerusalem. Wow. Can you picture it? If you say yes, I say you're not honest. Can you have a hint of it? Yes. Is it amazing? Yes. What is it like? Don't know. <laughs> I really cannot 
fully pictured. It's like the tribes finally, after this man comes back to the city and tells his tribe, his Stone Age friends, they said, do you understand what I said? And they said, no. But do you want to go there? Yes. <laughs> All right. That's the answer. Okay. So that is the yearning of our heart for this perfection. But it's so perfect. We've never seen it. We've never experienced this kind of thing. It's so big. It's so massive. It's so bright. It's so glorious. We've never seen anything like that. But I want to. All right. So some international city with amazing diversity and yet amazing unity I oh, my goodness this is in language in our, our love for one another unity right verse 27 but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life so it just ends by saying make sure your name is in the lamb's book of life and you will be there that's all i need to know I don't need to know too much. I need to know my name is there, inscribed on his heart, right? In the book of life. It's not been erased by my sin, but it's left the day I trusted Christ. It was in permanent ink, all right? So I hope that this chapter 21 whets your appetite. But honestly, it cannot fill in the details. It's not possible. If I can understand what heaven's like, it's not heaven. It's not heaven. It's just, okay, good place. Because my experiences are so limited. But it's unlimited in heaven, beyond imagination. That's why it's only described in Revelation 21 and 22 and not much else. May God bless you. May God say to you in your heart that, wow, I want to be with this amazing God in this amazing place for all eternity, where my heart will be filled with the river of life, of water, river of water of life. And the Lord bless you and you will be there if you trust in the one who conquered our sins on the cross.